Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Welcome. Today is Tuesday, April 7th. Today we've got two interesting stories on the Muni Lowdown pandemic problems. DebtWire Municipal's Kathy O'Donnell discusses an issue involving municipal mutual fund inflows which have become concentrated among a handful of big firms. When they need to sell, the buyer universe is limited to other big fund players who are also facing redemptions. And also on the show, we've got DebtWire's Maria Monte, who will talk about a private student housing development on the University of Oklahoma's campus, which is determining how to address refunds to tenants as the school sends students off campus to protect against the spread of the coronavirus. And we'll start with um, Kathy O'Donnell in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Kathy, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Young. How are you doing? Good. How, uh, so far, how has been uh, staying at home? Well, for me, it has not been too bad, but the dog is not coping very well at all, Young. The dog is starting to go a little stir crazy, missing the doggy daycare. So, yeah, we're we're working on it. So, uh, but yeah, so but so far so good. How about you? I'm good. I'm just staying home and doing the usual stuff. But did you hear on the news yesterday that a tiger got that was tested positive for COVID nineteen at the Bronx Zoo in New York? I did hear something about that. Yes, yeah, that was crazy. Totally crazy. Yeah. They said uh, it doesn't really go to pets, but in the meantime, if someone, like if a human is tested positive, just sort of keep your distance from your pets. But still, in the meantime, they're not like a, a major source of um, positive testing. So that's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. That's for sure. Nobody escapes. It. Th- that's right. That's right. So speaking of interesting stories, Kathy, it seems that Muni saw a dramatic sell-off in late March, followed quickly by a dramatic rebound. And that concentration of muni mutual fund assets in a handful of firms played a role in the sell-off. Tell us all about all about that. Yes, Young. And uh, first off, thanks again for the good edit on that story. Help me uh, kind of focus on uh, what the important part was. And the important part um, was that um, the the sell-off spotlighted an issue that has been going on for a while in the municipal market that has caused some concern. And that is the concentration of municipal mutual fund assets among a handful of large firms like Nuveen and Vanguard and BlackRock, just to name a couple. And what happens is when you know investors start to pull their money, uh, the fund managers have to uh, sell to meet the, those redemptions. And because there's such a concentration at a handful of funds, when the big guys sell, they do it in, in pretty large blocks. So um, as one uh, top-ranked fund manager that I spoke with, um, Siegel and Bryant, uh, Siegel, Bryant and Hamill's Nick Foley told me, there's no marginal buyer on the other side of that. Um, so, you know, the other big firms who could conceivably, you know, you know, accommodate, you know, the sale of a block of, say, $50 million, you know, of bonds, they, they, they likely seeing redemptions as well. So there's, there's no one around to kind of grab that. And, you know, while there could be some other funds out there who maybe had raised cash or oddly might have had 
been getting inflows. I mean, who knows? You know, they can take some of that stuff, but they can't take all of it, nothing to the degree that is being sold. So it causes a dysfunction in the market. And um, the concern is that, you know, these big, you know, fund complexes, you know, be they passive or these big high yield funds, you know, they've just been permitted to get too big. And um, obviously, you know, with the coronavirus, it was going to be selling, but this concentration of assets kind of exacerbated that and, you know, kind of really contributed to the problem. And as, as Foley explained to me, you know, people sometimes see munis as kind of what he called a sleepy backwater. Um, but he said he views munis as, uh, you know, one of the toughest asset classes to manage because, it, as he said, it kind of moves like a rate product, like a treasury, until it stops doing that. And then it becomes what he called a complete credit animal that suffers from terrible liquidity. So there's the issue. Interesting. So I guess the sell-off gave people a lesson about how rough the sleepy backwater can sometimes get. I think it certainly did. Uh, yes, in fact, uh, Tom Doe, who um, I also spoke with for this story, he's president of Municipal Market Analytics, Inc., and he told me what the sell-off underscored is that periodically the cost of liquidity in the municipal market, as he put it, can be extraordinarily high. Um, and while the concentration of fund assets among a handful of uh, firms played a role in the sell-off, uh, he saw it as kind of one factor among several that exacerbated that sell-off. And one of the other things he mentioned um, was the greater distance between the security dealer and the institutional investor as technology has kind of lessened dependence on personal relationships. Uh, so as he put it, there wasn't an opportunity to kind of work a situation calmly or quietly to have less you know, disruption um, in the market. So... Um, you know, that that kind of uh, put, you know, added to the situation as well. And there were some other things that went on to, um, I think, some of the um, kind of uh, programs that people had in place to kind of deal with, um, you know, treasury programs to kind of offset these. The risk management programs didn't work as they should have as well. So that was another factor he mentioned. Mm, interesting. So I got one uh, one last question for you, uh, Kathy. You also got a comment from John Miller from Nuveen. Yes, um, you know, through a spokesman, um, you know, I, I reached out to Nuveen to obviously get their point of view on the situation, and uh, a spokesperson provided me some comments from John Miller, who's head of municipals at Nuveen, and. What he said was that, you know, the biggest kind of contributor to volatility in municipals uh, stemming from this novel coronavirus is, you know, the change in investor behavior. Um, and what he said was that um, retail investors suddenly shifted from trading as an interest rate driven marketplace to a credit driven marketplace and credit concerns jumped. And he also noted that uh, we were coming off an extremely stable market that had seen 60 weeks in a row of uninterrupted inflows, um, which totaled like more than a hundred billion, and uh, to, then to a roughly two to three week period of you know thirty billion in outflows. Um, so what he said with the market was experienced is kind of a shock to the system, which created this immediate selling pressure. Very interesting. All right, Kathy. Well, thank you for your work on this story. Uh, hope you stay safe and uh, take care of the take care of the dog. Thank you. Stay <laughs> safe as well, everybody out there. All right. Thanks, Kathy. Okay. Bye bye. Okay, and now we've got Maria Monte on the line. Maria, how are you today? 
I'm well. Good morning from Brooklyn. So how, how are you handling uh, this quarantine so far? It's not so bad. It's what it is. We're all making do. Uh, it's good to see people being respectful of social distancing, wearing masks and gloves when they go out. Uh, a lot of a lot of that. The city is a little bit sleepy right now. Yeah, and, and the most important question everyone's asking is, do you have enough toilet paper? I do. What I've seen is people asking, uh, are you wearing pants? And I, <laughs> I'm wearing a dress, so. <laughs> All right, well, suiting up for the, uh, the podcast. The Way to go. Way to go. Right? I, I think Walmart. Um, yeah, I think Walmart or some other. I'm fine. I'm fine. I think some was was it Walmart or some store that said that they're selling shirts two to one compared to pants because when people have meetings they want to have a nice shirt on but not pants. So that, that's <laughs> a, interesting. That's so funny. <laughs> All right. So as I mentioned in our intro, you wrote a very interesting interesting story about. Uh, the University of Oklahoma, at the University of Oklahoma, but that's not just about the school. I know it. it I'm going to step back for a second for a bigger picture. You've got uh, obviously colleges and universities, and me myself personally, my daughter's home from school, and so that's the bigger picture. Because with students going home, they're doing online learning, and they're not physically at their campuses, which means they're not in their dorms, which affects housing. And so you wrote a story, and tell us why you wrote this particular story. As you mentioned, colleges evacuated students from residence halls across the country, and the corona evacuations placed private student housing in a unique predicament. The project I'm looking at, or that we're talking about today, is across Village. It's already notable within the market. They issued $250 million to finance a complex with 1,200 beds in March 2017, and it opened a residence in fall 2018. And again, as Young mentioned, it's not alone. The challenges we're discussing today are applicable to hundreds of other projects across the country. Some are located on campus, like Cross Village, and with the university sending students home, telling them to evacuate residence halls, the private owner or developer must comply. And this project, another layer to it, it's already involved with a legal battle with the University of Oklahoma. It sued for $800 million last year because the university backed out of some leases it had previously indicated they would maintain. And this may further test that relationship because the private developer doesn't have a say at some of these properties. And students are likely expecting refunds. Some have already paid through the year and are being forced to evacuate and therefore paying for students they services they aren't using. So, Maria, let me ask you a question. What did you learn while you were reporting on this story? Provident uh, requested, Provident is the developer. They requested bondholders to submit questions about the circumstances, and this is for all of their properties. They're seeking questions to discuss their response to coronavirus, and it's a predicament for this pro specific project, but at most of their projects, most projects nationwide, tenant revenue finances debt service. So it's also a potential predicament for bondholders. And again, this specific project, Cross Village, has already faced a lot of challenges. In addition to the university terminating its own leases at the facility, they only have 30% residential occupancy after operating for more than a year. And in addition, it was already struggling financially, bondholders waived an event of default due to insufficient funds, and that waiver expen expires at the end of the year. Right, I, and I know you wrote a court story, a very interesting court story about this one uh, back in December. 
Yeah. This is going to be a situation that plays out across the country. The University of Arizona system was also sued because it said they would not provide refunds for room and board fees despite forcing students to evacuate mid-semester. And it wouldn't be surprising to see more of that if other schools go in that direction. Also, the long-term impact of this is such a wild card, and I have so many questions. Will they provide refunds or a credit for next year or nothing at all? And also, will schools open with business as usual in the fall? Meaning, will people be able to move in in the fall as they had planned? Uh, and what happens to the campus environment if online learning is successful? Does that lessen the need for a physical campus? Right, right. I mean, like I said, as I mentioned earlier, my, I myself personally, my daughter's home from school. She's a third year, and I've already got an email from the school saying that they're going to prorate us the room and board portion for the rest of the semester and basically I could just uh, get a direct deposit or I can hold off until the fall assuming that they all go back but like you said it's a wild card definitely for sure. Um, well that's a relief that they're at least providing something to you. Yes yes so so Murray, I've got one last question for you I know you sort of, like you said you sort of touched upon it with the wild card and the future but what do you think uh, could come next going forward? Anything else? Uh, I think we just need to see how it plays out. Everyone I speak to really just says it's too early, and I do think that's fair. This is a continually developing situation, and we don't know how long we're going to be quarantined. We don't know how long this is going to last, and uh, until we have a better sense of when we're able to resume life as normal, I think will better be able to answer some of those questions. Yes, definitely. And like most things in life, life in, in the way it is, some things will never change, but some things definitely will change going forward. So we shall see. <laughs> but um, Maria, thank you for your time today. Uh, I'm glad you're safe. Uh, you know, stay cool out there in Brooklyn, like you always are. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Young. Talk to you soon. Bye. And that's our show for today on the Meaning Lowdown, Pandemic Problems. I'd like to thank Kathy O'Donnell in Harrisburg, PA, and Maria Monte from Brooklyn, New York. And I'd also, also like to thank Christian Ayala, our producer, for making us sound good each, each week. But again, as always, thanks to you, our listeners out there, who are, I'm assuming, staying safe, staying six feet apart, and staying positive, not obviously with COVID-19, but staying positive in this day and age where things will change. Uh, hopefully, uh, you'll tune out again uh, and join us next week on the, on the latest on Distressed Mini Debt on the Mean Lowdown. So take care, everybody. We'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mean Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.